Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams and this is episode number 10. Episode number 10, officially out of fingers. I can no longer count with my hands. Got to take off my socks and count with my toes. So (laughs) this is episode number 10 and uh, we got some crazy stuff going on this week. Um, Literally just, just hours ago, Ghislaine Maxwell was found guilty um, on five of six counts. So we're going to jump into that almost right away. We got a couple other things we're going to touch on, including the Build Back Better uh, bill getting blocked and as well as somebody from CNN getting called out by Project Veritas for some creepy pedophile stuff. Lo and behold, I even saw a uh, Babylon Bee. Gotta love the Babylon Bee. Babylon Bee put out a meme basically that said, uh, since Ghislaine Maxwell got uh, found guilty of sexual assault on children, she announced her career starting at CNN. Thought that was funny. Anyways, moving on. Let's go ahead and jump into it. But you know the drill. The very first thing I need you to do before we do that is I need you to go ahead and press the subscribe button. It takes you just a second. It means the world to me. Um, I love doing this for you guys. Go ahead and press the subscribe button right now. Just got to tap that little button. The next thing I need you to do is go head over to redpillrevolution.substack.com. We've been putting out all sorts of content between our podcast companions where we're posting the actual links that we're looking at to the videos we're watching on the actual podcast itself, whether I'm posting uh, books that I recommend on the specific topics that we talked about that week um, and the video right away, whatever it is, go ahead and join the Substack. We're going to be putting out consistent content. I actually just put out a research paper that I wrote on the dark history of the CIA, a scholarly paper. And uh, you can check that out if you want uh, a little bit more detail on last week's podcast. This week's podcast is going to be great too. We're going to throw up all of our videos on there. So go ahead, head over to redpillrevolution.substack.com and sign up. It's free to sign up. If you want the extra little goodies, it's like seven bucks a month, which works out to be like a dollar, I don't know, 50 a a week. I don't know. <laughs> uh, go ahead. If you could, I, you know, I appreciate it so much. Um, I love doing this for you guys, like I said. Um, and any little bit that you guys can help, whether it's, you know, throwing in on that paid Substack for just $7. If you can't afford the $7, I get it. I love putting this stuff out just for free for you too. But if you can afford that $7, and I know there's a lot of you out there who can, go ahead and sign up. I, I'd appreciate it so much. It just gives me a little bit of validation knowing that what I'm doing is worth something to you, even if that's just the cost of a cup of coffee. So seven bucks, sign up for Substack. Um, And if you can't, it's free too. 
you just get a little bit of extra if you sign up uh, pay that $7. So um, thank you guys so much. Again, press that subscribe button. If you're on Apple Podcasts right now, five-star review, press that five stars. I'd appreciate it so much. And without further ado, let's get into it. The first thing we're going to talk about this week's podcast um, in this week's show is going to be the new and, uh, well, not so new to everybody who's been talking about this for a few months, but uh, the actual new implementation in the United States of the show me your vaccine papers. There's been actually people getting kicked out of restaurants, kicked out of bars, um, you know, pushed out of public buildings and offices in New York and several states across the country for not having vaccine papers on them. Um, it, it sounds unbelievably dystopian. Um, it sounds like something you absolutely never could have guessed would have happened in this decade, in my life, in your life, I'm sure. Um, but it is, it's happening all around us. And, and there's an old saying, I, you know, I wish I had it off the top of my head, um, but a buddy told it of mine and uh, Told me it, and it, and it talked something about how uh, you know the the during World War II something about how you know they came for the gypsies and I wasn't a gypsy so I didn't say anything and then they came for the Jews and I wasn't a Jew so I didn't say anything and then they came for the you know insert whatever it is um, and they didn't I, I'm not that so they, they, I didn't say anything and then they came for me and there was nobody left to say anything. Which to me just says, like, speak up, man. If you don't live in New York, you know, I'm over here in a, a Midwest area. Um, you know, if you don't live there, just because it's not happening where you live doesn't mean that, that you're not next, right? So we, we have to speak up about these things. We have to post about it. We have to talk about it. We have to voice our opinions and we have to voice our opinion with our votes and, you know, let people know this is unacceptable. We're not going to take this. And in terms of these vaccine paperwork, it, it seems absolutely crazy to me that this has become reality. Um, you know, I definitely saw that that was going to be the case. Eventually, we talked about this, you know, that, that this was coming up, but, you know, a lot of people didn't believe us. Um, so here it is. Let's go ahead and watch this video. Show me your papers. More and more Americans and people across the globe are hearing these ominous words. People are being required to show proof of vaccination or be denied the ability to dine peacefully in restaurants, hold jobs, or even attend school. Earlier in December, several GOP lawmakers in the New Jersey State Assembly were denied access to the Assembly Chamber for refusing to show proof of vaccination. You see this? See, see this, folks? Denying us entry into our house. America. This is America, an illegal procedure, voting procedure they're relying on. It was deemed illegal and they're enforcing it. The state police are the best in the world, but they report to the executive branch and how outrageous a governor to turn the state police on the This is tyranny, folks. America, see what's happening Look here. Look at our heroes up here. See what's happening, America. So what you're seeing actually there is a congressman or some sort of uh, public office holder who is not being allowed into a specific vote um, because he's not showing his vaccine paperwork. So if you're watching this, follow along. Give it a second. I think they're going to come into this and talk a little bit more about it. 
That's right. Members of the minority party were blocked from representing their constituents and voting on legislation for refusing to adhere to a rule that was arbitrarily created by a commission. This was overturned by an appellate court as there's nothing in the Constitution that requires proof of vaccination to vote. But they tried. And that should alarm all of us. If these were lawmakers of the Democratic Party who were blocked from entering the chamber to vote, we'd likely have seen endless news about voter suppression. And it would have been voter suppression. It is voter suppression. We intrinsically understand how wrong it is to block people from voting. We view voting as a basic right within a democracy, something we hold dear. Scenes of lawmakers locked out of chambers, be they Democrat or Republican, or scenes of hundreds of people busting into the Capitol to prevent a vote from happening shakes us to our core. We know it's wrong. It's an assault on our democracy. But we don't seem to have that same intrinsic understanding when it comes to other things like the right to an education. All right. So, you know, she's basically just explaining what happened. He was trying to get in to do a vote, um, was a part of the GOP, and they wouldn't let him in just because he wasn't vaccinated. Crazy the fact that they're going to do that to people who are actually, I mean, the fact that they're going to do that about anything, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, voting on the Senate floor, whatever it is. That should scare you. I mean, the 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 craziest thing about this is, you know, it, Growing up and hearing about World War II, hearing about the Nazi party, hearing about, you know, we all heard about the outcome, right? We all heard about what it got to be, right? At what point and, and, and how this discrimination became and, and what we didn't hear about was how it got to that point, though, right? How regular people, normal people um, allowed these things to happen. And we're seeing it play out again today. You know, it's it's like they're they're trying to cleanse of a ideology, right? You, see, it's it's an it's literally an attack on freedom of thought. If you are now somebody who does not want to be vaccinated, that that does not want to go through the process of of becoming a part of this human experiment, then you're ostracized. You can't get a specific jobs. You can't vote if you're in politics you can't go to the grocery store or go you know i guess you probably go to the grocery store i hope at least in new york but you can't go to restaurants you can't do a lot of these things i mean we're literally seeing people pulled out and dragged out of these shops and out of these restaurants in new york on videos all of the time now and you know we thought it was just in australia and in and australia is a crazy case i mean i saw this video where there was this woman sitting on her porch of the of these detainment centers in australia where they literally put you in this like five by five house or ten by ten house when you come back to quarantine if you're showing no symptoms you have to quarantine and so you go to this basically like smaller than a trailer size home and uh there's these like cops who walk around and enforce these stupid rules about not like leaving even your porch. Um, let's see if I can find that real quick. So, so what's, what's the guy? So this, I'm going to give you a warning. Yeah. It's an official warning that you have to stand up and obey the rules while you get. Yeah. And that's, we have to go to the rules again. I don't care. So am I allowed to go to the laundry? You're allowed to go to the laundry, but you got to wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you definitely can't go up the fence anywhere else. But you're allowed to go to the laundry, yeah? That's always been the case, yeah? Right, so if I was sitting just here, which is right near the fence, why are these guys in a cabin that's right near the fence? It makes no sense, does it? Yeah, but you can't leave your balcony to go to the fence to talk to somebody else. 
Christmas, obviously. So if I was Again, at that balcony. Make sense. So there's real reason. So there has to be lines everywhere drawn, yeah? And one of the lines is you cannot leave your balcony and you cannot go to someone else. Where it makes no sense or it doesn't seem right to you, that is the line and that's what the law is, yeah? And that's how it goes, yeah? The law. What a show direction. There's a law that says show that. Show direction, yep. There's a show direction, yeah? And how the behaviour must be done, especially in this area because it's much more highly infectious and likely to have infected people, yeah? Highly infectious when all of us people are negative. So, so far, the risk is still very high, yeah? yeah. Mm. Just while you're here, can we just do that? Otherwise, the next time it's a $5,000 fine, we don't want to do that. It's a $5,000 fine, $5, fine if what? If you breach again. If if I walk out onto that path. Without your mask on, for no reason other than the laundry. If I cross that yellow line. Saying that you've broken the rule. That I've broken the rule, I will be issued with a $5,000 fine. That's correct. Right. I could have, we could even do that now, but we're giving the warning first. Have a chat with you because it's a big fine. Rather just do the right thing, yeah? Like I said, I'm not here to fight with you. Yeah. I don't want to fight with you. Yeah. I just want everybody to do the right thing, and yeah. unfortunately, it's my job to make sure they do. I don't think the ins and outs have got nothing to do with me. I'm just here to make sure the rules are here. Yeah. Hello, So, what did that experience make you think? Like, what, what was your feeling about? being in that situation with those people in control of your every movement? Oh, it's horrible. It's a horrible feeling. You feel like you're in prison. You feel like you've done something wrong. It's inhumane what they're doing. Like you, you are so small. You, They just overpower you and you're literally nothing. So basically this woman was sitting on her porch in this detainment center and they were coming and yelling at her for even trying to walk off of her porch. And she wasn't sick. She had no symptoms. They, they, they said that she would be fined thousands of dollars if she decided to get up out of this porch again. And, and again, these are things that we thought could never happen um, in this universe, even even in this decade. And, and we're seeing it happen in countries all over the world right now. And we're starting to see some of these things come to our shores in the U.S. Where, you know, and we're starting to see that with New York. And so, you know, I, I really do hope that we're seeing enough of a pushback that this isn't going to happen in other states. Um, but at this point, you know nothing would surprise me at this point. So the next thing we're going to talk about here is the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. So we're going to go through some of the updates from the trial. We're going to talk through, you know, kind of what what we missed maybe a little bit. And uh, then we're going to talk about the actual uh, sentencing itself and see uh, if we can go into how much time she's actually going to get, right? There's, there's but basically there was five of six charges that she was uh, found guilty of. And um, let's go ahead and we'll walk through what those charges even were. So the first charge, the count one, was conspiracy to entice a minor to travel to engage in illegal sex acts, which carries a minimum sentence of five years. Um, count three, which she was also convicted of, was conspiracy to transport a minor with the intent to engage in uh, criminal sexual activity, which carries a maximum sentence of five years as well. It seems extraordinarily low. If you find yourself in a situation where you're conspiring to transport a minor with the intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, I've literally heard of people getting less or more time for weed. That's crazy. But if you are conspiring to transport a minor with the intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, which that carries a maximum, maximum, not minimum, maximum sentence of five years, five years for, for, intent 
to engage in criminal activity with a child and transporting a minor to do so. Beyond me. But luckily there was enough charges here that she's going to be away until she's fucking dead, scumbag. But um, but count four was transporting a minor with the intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, which carries a 10-year sentence. I don't see how that's much different than the original. Count five, conspiracy to commit sexual trafficking of minors, which carries a statutory sentence of five years, maximum sentence of five years. Wow, that's unbelievable. Who would have thought that child trafficking, like not even just child trafficking, but child trafficking with the intent of engaging in sexual activity or conspiracy to commit sexual trafficking of minors is a maximum five-year sentence, which means it's like a probably two, two and a half years. So if you don't think that these laws are made to get these people off, I mean, you're mistaken because the, you know, they basically make the laws for themselves. Count six was sex trafficking of minors. Um, which carries a statutory minimum or maximum sentence of 40 years. So thank God that's in there because if it wasn't in there, she'd be looking at like 20 years, five probably of that 20 would be off for good behavior. But this actual last one, which thank God it stuck count six is sex trafficking of minors. So you'll, you'll notice that it's either transporting consp or conspiracy are the other words, conspiracy to transport, transporting a minor conspiracy to commit, or actual sex trafficking minors. So the actual act of sex trafficking minors, not transporting them or conspiring to do so, carries a 40-year sentence. So she's looking at a maximum of 65 years in prison. Um, I don't recall exactly how old she is, but that means she's rotting there until she dies, hopefully. Um, because 65 years, we're probably looking at actually about probably 25 to 30 years. I would say by looking at her, she's at least 50 years old. Let's look up how old Glenn Maxwell is. Glenn Maxwell, age on duck, duck, go. So she was born in 61. So that makes her 50. Damn, I'm good, son. Look at that. Or 60. Damn it. 60. <laughs> 61, almost 61. So um, December 25th. Wow. So happy birthday, Glaine Maxwell. Uh, four days ago, um, she was born on Christmas. Who'd have thought? Um, four days later is found uh, with 65 years uh, for sex trafficking children. So thank God. Because, I mean, there was a lot of people who said that this the, the, this had the possibility of going the other way. And I, I don't know how in the world that would have happened. But with all of the money involved, all of the people involved, um, you can totally see it. And, and, and including, you know, the, the setup of the actual judge who was appointed, um, you know, the, her actual lawyer and the approach that they were taking. Thank God. The almost maximum sentence, the only one, the only sentence that was missing was a sentence regarding the conspiracy of uh, Jane. Jane's the pseudonym, again, of this woman who is a actress. We, it's pretty easy to find the name of who Jane is. Um, you know, after a lot of doxing by actually Glenn Maxwell's attorney and even Jeffrey Epstein's attorney who came later and tried basically dox Jane at one point as well. Um, so we, most people have found out who she is, but we're going to stick with Jane. Um, 
basically that was the one thing that didn't stick. And, and it's interesting because they requested transcripts towards the end of the, the actual deliberations um, regarding Jane, regarding Carolyn, and regarding one more person. Um, so to see that they... I mean, they, they took it seriously enough. I, I don't see how you get to a point where, you know, maybe they just didn't have without a reasonable doubt about Jane. And so that's why count two did not stick. Um, again, it was just another five year charge. So it wouldn't have like made or braid break, broke, <laughs> made or broke, broke, made or broke, made or break, make or break this trial. Jeez. Wow. That was a lot. Um, so we're, you know, five of six, happy about that. She's going away for a very, very long time. Um, now, whether or not, you know, that's justification or that's uh, justice, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, obviously there's a, um, a lot of women out there and a lot of, you know, victims out there that we'd never even heard of and will we'll never heard of just due to the nature of the style of this case um, and the acts that were committed on them and just people who wouldn't even want to come out at this point, understandably. Um, but, you know, for who had the courage to come out and who had the courage to sit on that stand and stare Ghislaine Maxwell right in the face, um, thank God for those women because I'm sure there's a lot of women who they spoke for who will never see a trial, who will never go sit on the stand or face their uh, victimizer and actually see some type of outcome, you know, from, from doing so. So thank God for these women, you know, thank God for, um, you know, all of these people that spoke up and that came out and, you know, thank God for all of the witnesses who came out and talked and, and spoke about this and the pilots and everything. So, you know, it's a win. It's a win for the American justice system. And I think that we really do have to be happy with a lot of the results that have come out of the American justice system over these last, you know, th two months or so, you know, between the Rittenhouse case and the, the uh, proving that that was self-defense, which was obvious to a lot of people, um, to, uh, you know, some of the later, the actual conviction um, in the, um, I think it was the Ahmad Arbery case, um, which was the absolute right decision to this. So really happy. And I think that that's something that we've seen this system contend with on a regular basis, right? All of the social justice warriors, all of the media outlets that wanted to see Kyle Rittenhouse burn for what he did defending himself. All of the people that are involved, all of the media outlets, all of the powerful elites that are involved in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial wanting to see that this get buried, right? But the, the American justice system has faults. It absolutely has faults, right? There's a lot of, you know, prosecution biases. There's a lot of, uh, you know, things that happen that aren't great. But for what I've seen recently, I'm really happy with, with our justice system. And I'm really happy to see that the right decision has been made, not just by the system, but by the American people themselves. So, you know, that in, in a time where it's hard to buy some faith in humanity, <laughs> uh, it's nice to see these guys, these people, these individuals uh, making the right decision. You know, I guess there was six women and six men um, that delivered liberated and made the actual decision um, regarding the case itself. So let's see what else we got here regarding that. That's it. Case shut. Ghislaine Maxwell is guilty. 45, 65 years that she faces. Um, guilty verdict for Ghislaine Maxwell. 65 years she faces as a result of these five out of six guilty verdicts. And I'm so happy, so happy that she is going to be put behind bars for a very, 
very long time, even though we don't get to see both of them, um, Ghislaine and Epstein, who may or may not be sitting up on an island somewhere, <laughs> um, hopefully is actually dead. Uh, and then hell, where Ghislaine Maxwell will find herself as soon as her sentence is done. And she's, uh, you know, what, 60 now? So 110 years old when her sentencing is over. So thankful, thankful about that. All right. So the next topic that we're going to jump into was the Project Veritas videos that came out recently. So Project Veritas had get received text messages from a woman who claims to has been speaking with a CNN producer, um, basically who was uh, accused of uh, sexually exploiting not only his girlfriend or fiance's child, but also like speaking about that child to this woman. Um, this woman came out and, and sent all of the text messages with the CNN producer to, um, to Project Veritas. And there's some really, really disturbing stuff. I, I'm not going to read it. I, I had my fill of reading that all of this terrible stuff with the Maxwell trial. Um, but there's some, there's some terrible stuff. If you want to find it, you can find it. It's just on Project Veritas YouTube channel. But it's basically this guy explaining all the things that he wanted to do and how it turned him on and all this disgusting stuff. Um, and uh, this woman came to Project Veritas and kind of played along with these text messages. Um, and then he asked her for pictures of like her 15-year-old. Um, and then she finally took the, these documents to Project Veritas. So Project Veritas here is basically going up to this guy and questioning this uh, C CNN producer. Um, and let's watch that here. Hey, Rick, I'm a reporter with Project Veritas. What do you have to say about your recent accusations against crimes against children? Do you still work for CNN, Rick? Sir, I'm done having my mouth on here. Slowly, I'm zipper. Project Veritas exposed another creep at CNN. Yet another producer, Rick Salibi, at CNN, we've exposed. So he thinks, because you sent me money, you're going to get a nude photo of me and my daughter? Are you insane? He's asked for nude pictures of your 15-year-old daughter? Yep. Mom and daughter pics. He always says mom and daughter pics. Rick, do you still work for CNN? Do you have any comments, sir? Yes, sir. Once again, we ask the questions and they run away. I love what Project Veritas does. I love that they find enough people with the balls to do this, where they just like run up on people with cell phones. <laughs> and of course, these people are never going to respond. Um, my favorite was there was like this woman who was, uh, she was some person in politics or mayor or something. And she like basically trips, sprinting back to her house. And she was in no shape to be running. Anyways, Project Veritas is the best. Um, and they, you, you heard a little bit about it there, but the CNN producer was caught red handed, um, being a disgusting pedophile. Um, you know, and, and, and we're seeing this as a little bit of a theme there, CNN, and that, that, uh, meme about Ghislaine Maxwell joining CNN because of her conviction seems to hold true when you find out that, you know, Andrew Cuomo just got basically released. Um, you know, and he at one point was, was accused of sexually harassing people and, you know, the, the, the plague of pedophilia and, and sexual harassment that's been haunting CNN for a while now. Um, but 
just to shed some light on that. Now, following that up, we find out that basically the New York Times was barred from publishing Project Veritas documents. Um, so let's watch a little bit about that here. That's interesting. Held a publishing ban on the New York Times, siding with the far-right group Project Veritas in their ongoing legal battle with the legacy newspaper. Project Veritas has accused the Times of libel for its reporting on their founder, James O'Keefe. Judge Charles Wood's ruling orders the Times to turn over or destroy any copies of documents they obtained from an attorney for Project Veritas. Publisher of the Times, A.G. Salzberger, responded to the ruling writing, quote, This ruling should raise alarms not just for advocates of press freedoms, but for anyone concerned about the dangers of government overreach into what the public can and cannot know. So this one is is there's a lot going on here. Um, the the so the Project Veritas's claim is that they have this ongoing litigation with the New York Times, and the New York Times is trying to publish um, in you know in, internal memo correspondence between O'Keefe, maybe other Project Veritas people, and an, and one of their attorneys. And the New York Times got this, and they were going to write about it. To, and they, from the New York Times perspective, this shines it, yeah. right. They did write about it. Shines light on Project Veritas's shadier side, and Project Veritas is trying to say, "Well, this is privileged information. You can't publish this." And the the judge uh, unexpectedly and uncommonly sided with Project Veritas and has uh, really strongly prohibited the New York Times from operating on any of this information it obtained. Right, and then upheld his own ruling. Right, uh, which, and the Times says it's going to appeal. It, it will be interesting to see how see how this goes because if this if this stands, it's a massive blow to press freedom. And what I think, and I think so. Let's start with this. I think Project Veritas actually should be ashamed of itself for pushing this because they and and O'Keefe himself t talk about themselves as journalists. And, and and they are in the what they do is expose information or what right. they purport to do is privilege is gather yeah. information without people's permission conversations your secret surreptitious recordings and expose that right. that is what that is self admittedly what they do right. so for them to say that when it, but it, if it's done to them they well that's beyond the pale is really hypocritical, I think, regardless of how anyone right. thinks this. I don't, uh, I don't agree politically with Project Veritas. I don't, I don't endorse a lot of the tactics that they use, but I have publicly defended their right under the First Amendment to do, mm -hmm. to do what they do. And when they dragged O'Keefe out of his, you know, they raided his uh, apartment, dragged him, dragged him out, I defended, defended him then. That is not how the government should treat any organization that is operating with protections around the First Amendment. Now, obviously, if there are some separate, unrelated shenanigans going on that has nothing to do with the, the, the publication of, of, of documents or videos, that's, that's separate. That's not what's going on here. But as long as they're engaging within protected activities, everyone right. should defend them, whether or not you support them or not. Same with Julian Assange, no matter what you think it, it, of it's, Julian it's Assange. It's very akin to Assange. With, you know, they published information or, or, or were going to or had all right. So, so one thing that he fails to, fails to mention there is the fact that the New York Times obtained these documents regarding Project Veritas from the actual FBI raid. So there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around what actually happened here in, in regarding the Project Veritas FBI raid. So if you're not familiar with that, basically... 
to catch you up to speed, the Project Veritas somehow obtained a document uh, regarding the Ashley Biden Journal. And the Ashley Biden Journal goes into pretty uh, gross detail regarding the inappropriate relationship and the inappropriate showers that Ashley Biden had with her father, that she believed in her father being our president, Joe Biden. And so within not only, you know, within this document, within this diary that was somehow obtained of Ashley Biden, um, the FBI was basically sicked on James O'Keefe, the creator and head of Project Veritas. In this FBI raid, they found some type of documents um, that was somehow during a time where the New York Times and Project Veritas are deep in litigation, um, deep, deep in litigation. There, there's very many lawsuits between those two companies right now. Um, so as a way to swing the stick, um, it seems to appear as if the FBI raided Project Veritas home on behalf of the, basically the New York Times and the president, specifically just for putting out these documents as retribution. They didn't find anything that they ever published. Nobody got arrested. Nothing. They just broke down his door in the middle of the night and went through his stuff. And then um, somehow the documents that were obtained by the, the FBI wound up in the hand of the New York Times. So that's one thing that he failed to mention there. Um, and and I, you know, I, I'm not very familiar with what the actual documents were um, that were obtained by Project Veritas. I think that's because they've been sealed by this judge who said that you cannot use those because it was not legally obtained. Um, but, I, you know, I can get his comparison regarding the Ashley Biden document. Although the Ashley Biden document by Project Veritas was tried to, they tried to hand over the journal to federal investigators at some point, Project Veritas did, prior to even publishing them, I believe. Um, I may be wrong on that, but that's what I remember. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know if that's exactly comparable. Uh, maybe, but I get the comparison. You know, if it's, if you have uh, something to hide, then for Project Veritas, you probably shouldn't be in the truth business. Um, you know, here nor there. So interesting stuff, though, that it's been exposed. Um, so now that brings us to something that's going to be our actual topic for today. And today's topic is going to be on uh, our, our longer topic for today is going to be on a little bit of a throwback conspiracy. Um, it's one that got brought up recently. I don't know if you were if you're on the Instagram at Red Pill Revolt, you may have seen this uh, more recently. Um, but it interested me and it piqued my interest a little bit when we talked about Courtney Love. So Courtney Love was in Epstein's black book. She was also, uh, according to her, stalked by Prince Andrew, who's also tied to um, Jeffrey Epstein, obviously, we know that. Um, so Courtney Love has a lot of shadows around her life and her life in general, not only her father who has CIA ties, but also the actual death of her then husband, Kurt Cobain. And so Courtney Love is, you know, kind of a old grunge uh, singer herself who has done some movies and some things like that since this happened. Um, but 
since then, uh, Kurt Cobain is allegedly had committed suicide, and he committed suicide by injecting himself with three times the amount of a lethal dose of heroin and then taking his shotgun and uh, shot himself. And this was all kind of out of the blue, if you asked anybody but his wife, Courtney Love. Okay, Um, so this was found and is widely accepted as being a suicide. Uh, This case has, however, had a lot of like FBI documents that have been released uh, more recently than not. I guess this was in 2000. These documents were written and then I can't exactly tell when they were released. This is directly on the the actual FBI website. So um, these are in the link tree right now. But if you just go to Google and type in Kurt Cobain FBI documents, it'll come up and it's just vault.fbi.gov. All right. So, you know, if you kind of dig into the history, Courtney Love, when she was questioned about Epstein's black book, she said that, oh, Jeffrey Epstein is just a weirdo who likes to collect people's names. I don't know how my phone number and address wound up in his book. (laughs) Um, Now, if you can take that at face value, but more than likely, there's a actual tie there. Almost every time I pull down a string of what's in that black book, there's serious ties. Um, And so, you know, deny that all you want for whoever you want, but the likelihood that they're in that book and not in some way tied to Epstein is a very far out concept, right? You were, you knew him some way. And then, and then further into uh, digging herself a hole is the, uh, the fact that she claims that Prince Andrew was like stalking her and like, trying to like was sexually harassing her or something like that. Uh, and that, um, but Prince Andrew and there's several other people that are out there that say that they knew each other and they were like dating at some point. So the fact that there's that correlation, the fact that she knew Prince Andrew, the fact that she's in Epstein's book and the fact that she has all of these, the smoke around her and her husband committing suicide at this time, um, really piqued my interest. So that's where we started off, right? That's where we started. So I'm going to read you some of these FBI documents that were later released as a result of some prying. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the case initially. So, um, basically, uh, Courtney Love hired a private investigator a week or so before Kurt Cobain killed himself. They, she hired them. He said that he's missing. I don't know where he is. He was, he's, crazy at the moment. You know, I believe he might be suicidal. He's probably cheating on me. He wants a divorce and all this stuff. So she hires this private investigator. The private investigator is a former police officer. There's actually a whole documentary that I watched on it in preparation for this called... Uh, give me a second and I'll find that. Um, but there's a whole documentary basically done by the private investigator who recorded all of his conversations with Courtney Love during this time, because the very second that he showed up at her hotel, the day that she called him, she felt like he was suspicious or she was suspicious. He felt like she was lying to her constantly. And so some of the main, uh, details that made him believe this was that she said that she had received a letter from Kurt Cobain that was underneath her pillow, basically, and she found it a day or two after he committed suicide. 
They knew that that wasn't the truth because they checked the entire house uh, on her behalf when she asked them to a couple days prior. Um, so she did. She was lying. She was lying about this letter that she got. And also the letter that she said she had received as a suicide note from him Basically, there was a forensic uh, linguist who was looking at the actual writing and looking at the actual differentiations between the actual handwriting and his actual handwriting from the letter itself. Um, and the actual documentary is called Soaked in Bleach. It's on YouTube. It's free. It's an hour and 26 minutes. You can press the times one and a half button like I did, and it's an hour. Worth your time. It's interesting. Um, but there's a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence that Courtney Love um, murdered Kurt Cobain. And some of that stems from her actually having her practicing his handwriting, um, practicing his letters where she would put a piece of paper over his handwriting and write them over it, where they think that's how she actually ended up writing this letter. Um, now, the, the reason that we basically know without a shadow of a doubt that this was not a suicide more so there's two pieces of evidence that indicate that the most convincing pieces of evidence that i've saw just just that it's not a suicide just that kurt cobain did not kill himself and everybody around him besides courtney love basically said that he was not suicidal but she did right and that started the whole narrative but the two things that are the most convincing two pieces of evidence, the first one being that he had one and a half times or 1.5 like milliliters of heroin in his system. And that's three times the amount of a lethal dose and like 70 times the amount what a normal person would actually take. Like a really bad heroin addict does like points. 0.6, like a, a consistent user who can could kill themselves with 0.3 milliliters, and he was at 1.5. Now, the idea is that he injected himself with 1.5 milliliters of heroin, like three times the lethal dose, and then managed to grab a shotgun, place it in front of himself, and pull the trigger like with his thumb, like this while laying down. Now, the problem with that, the problem with what people found in the evidence itself was that the shell casing, that it, having the shotgun placed the way that it was, would have ejected on the opposite side of where it was found. So that to me is the most interesting piece of evidence. The shell casing was ejected on one side, but found on the other side of his body, as if the only way that that would have logically happened after, if this was true is if he shot himself after basically killing himself with heroin, shot himself with his shotgun, and then moved the shell casing from one side to the other or it deflected off of something. And on the actual scene itself, there was nothing for it that indicated that it could have deflected off of anything. So there was a lot of reasons, but those are the major two to me. The first one being that he injected himself with a unbelievably large dose of heroin and then and then shot himself 
and, and by the time that he would have been able to do that, he would have been so high, he would not have been able to even accomplish this, let alone actually follow through with it. According to a lot of the uh, psychologists and, and people who were talking in this documentary, there's ne- like very few ever correlations between somebody actually injecting heroin and then killing themselves, let alone eje- injecting themselves with a dosage that was like 30 to 70 times what a normal person would take. And then going through the the trouble with still consciously, because you would be unconscious at this point, killing yourself by doing that. And then somehow the shell casing moving from one side to the other. It just just, didn't happen. There's no way that this happened. So there's the logical explanation for how this is not a suicide. Now, the reason that we believe that it was actually Courtney Love and the FBI allegedly believes this was based on the tapes and based on the body language, based on the information, based on the letters, based on the lying of Courtney Love herself. So let's read some of these FBI documents. All right. So the FBI documents, again, can be found just by searching, going to DuckDuckGo, uh, screw Google, DuckDuckGo. Um, and, and let's let's go into that for a second. Let's do a little side note. Shout out to DuckDuckGo. Shout out to Brave Browser. So if you're using Chrome or you're using uh, Safari, you are wrong. Use DuckDuckGo for your actual search engine. Use Brave for your browser, which even has Tor capabilities right on the actual browser itself if you really need something. Um, and then shout out to ExpressVPN. I don't have any sponsors on the show. Nobody's paying me to do shit. <laughs> um, just those are what I use. And I think that you guys should all have privacy too. So DuckDuckGo, Brave Browser. I, I, I found Brave, I think, in the last like year or so, um, year and a half. And if I open up this little browser tab, it like shows me, you know, I've had 208,000 trackers and ads blocked, 500 and, you know, five gigabytes of bandwidth saved. I don't know. I don't really give a shit about that. Brave Browser, DuckDuckGo, ExpressVPN. Shout out to you guys. Um, Move it on. So these FBI records, uh, go to uh, vault.fbi.gov, and then you can just search for Kurt Cobain. Um, It says, Dear U.S. government officials, I write to you for this reason. Every family member, friend, fan, and colleague of a victim... uh, Don's justice does justice. So sorry. It's a, it's kind of all blacked out. It's not redacted. It's just like on crappy paper when they scanned it. Um, I only wish to receive justice for and others who loved this man as much as I did. This man was Kurt Cobain belonging to a band called Nirvana. It was originally thought and still accepted as the truth that he committed suicide. There has since been evidence found that he was killed and didn't commit suicide as originally thought. The police who took up the case were never very serious in investigating it as a murder, but from the beginning insisted on it being a suicide. So that's true. The actual, in the documentary, they talked to some of the police that were on staff at the time. And the person who headed this investigation, the person who was the head of the the police at this time in this location, was actually relieved of duty later for a non-similar or for a a similar event happening where they really just didn't do their due diligence looking into something. Um, And and this was written off as a suicide from the beginning. Um, There's a lot of people who said and a lot of the officers who said that, you know, they barely even investigated this. And the only reason they did was because it was Kurt Cobain. They said if their officers deemed it a suicide, the patrol officers, that 
they would barely, they would never even send out homicide to it. So if they just said, oh, it looks like a suicide, they would never send homicide out to it. Even if there's a shotgun sitting there with the shell on the wrong side and a man dosed up with too much heroin to even be cognizant to pull the trigger, um, regardless of any of those, that information back, this was like 93, I think, um, they didn't do their due diligence like this. So it's true. Um, now, this goes on to say, this is a letter within the FBI documents, says this bothers me most because his killer is still out there and now, because of the haste of the police department, has the chance to claim other victims. This person had terrible uh, grammar. The more, uh, the is more enough evidence, there is more enough evidence to reopen the case and change the cause of death from suicide to murder. Evidence like the fact that there was no prints on the gun, he supposedly shot himself, the same gun that was given to Courtney Love after this happens, like the same weapon, the shotgun that he killed himself with, was never, there was no fingerprints on the weapon, and it was given to Courtney Love, who later melted the weapon down. Um, the home that he shot himself in was later, de- like the, the room was like later demolished. All of the evidence, every piece of, every shred of evidence that could have been left for them to look at has, is gone. But they also have pictures from the actual scene of the crime itself that has yet to be even, uh, um, basically even shown to the public or, uh, what is it called when you, you know, put it under a dark light or whatever. Anyways. Um, it says that there should be at least three, um, three sets of uh, fingerprints. Stronger evidence was a strange way his wife was acting, his wife being Courtney Love, and what she was holding. She had a paper saying, get arrested. So on her at the time that she went in, she had a piece of paper that said, get arrested, which gave her the alibi when she got arrested prior to his body being found, and a paper where she practiced his handwriting. On this suicide note that he wrote, he mentioned nothing about wanting to die except for the part where, um, of it that was in another handwriting and appeared to be added at the end. The information you need is in a book called Love and Death, and the same book that pointed out the triple lethal dose of heroin in his system and would have in- imminently incapacitated him. Um, thus, he could not have fired a weapon. If you would like all of the evidence, I suggest you contact the man who did the investigation. <sighs> So on and so forth. All right. The next thing, and they basically respond. The FBI responds to them and says, we appreciate your concern um, that Mr. Cobain may have been the victim of a homicide. However, most homicide investigations generally fall within the jurisdiction of state and local authorities. Um, In order for the FBI to investigate um, complaint, we must receive specific facts that must be present to indicate that a violation of federal law within our investigation jurisdiction has occurred. Based on the information you provided, we are unable to identify any violation of federal law within the investigative jurisdiction of the FBI. We are, therefore, unable to take any investigative action on this case. So that was the FBI's response. All right. Now, another one... And let's see if this one's really even. I know there's a good one. Um, Let's see if this is the right one. Okay. So this letter was also uh, released by the FBI. And this letter says, Dear whomever it may concern, I believe there was a great injustice that may have been committed in the case of Kurt Cobain. Mr. Cobain was the lead singer of a popular group from Seattle called Nirvana. They achieved a mass amount of popularity in 1991 and gained millions of fans around the world. He is survived by his young daughter named Frances and his wife, Courtney Love. 
The official story of the Seattle Police Department is that he took his own life. However, there are a lot of unanswered questions and inconsistencies with this. A California state licensed private investigator named Blank, who was hired by Cobain. I'm assuming that's the same one that did the documentary itself. Um, and the information he gathered, he also believes that his wife had something to do with it. So between the private investigator that was hired by Courtney Love, hired by her, who started doing all of these recordings on her because he thought she was guilty the entire time, thought she was lying. She seemed erratic. If you go watch the tapes and listen to her actually talking, she does seem very erratic through all of this. Um, but anyways, a California state license plate investigator named Blank um, thinks there's foul play. Based on the information that he has gathered, he also believes his wife has something to do with it. According to him, this information was taken from the Seattle Police Department a week after Cobain's death, only to be ignored. Since 1994, quite a few magazine and newspaper articles have been written on this information. It has also been the subject of many radio and television shows. A book entitled Who Killed Kurt Cobain? The Mysterious Death of an Icon was published in 1998. It was mentioned in the 98 film that the couple called Kurt, um, the couple called Kurt and Courtney the internet has also helped um, get this information out with sites like CobainCase.com, homepage of this investigation, and JusticeForKurt.com. Um, doesn't present any new information there. All right. So nothing more to talk about on that. Besides the fact that... So here's a, here's a few of the pieces of information. So Grant claims that the entire house was searched, Grant being one of the... Uh, I believe one of the private investigators. Um so some 20 hours later, Grant says that he and Cobain's friend searched the house again. This time, they found a note left for Cobain on, by the male nanny. The next day, an electrician discovered Cobain's body in a room above the garage known as the greenhouse. It is the only place Grant says he and Cobain's friend did not check. The first officers to arrive at the house reported that they were on the scene of a suicide. Tom Grant strongly disagreed and believes that he found a number of inconsistencies, inconsistencies including questions about the alleged suicide note. Um... Grant believes that the note is actually a retirement ladder to Cobain's fans. Grant and two renowned handwriting experts believe that this was at least part of the note could have been forged. Does this suggest Kurt Cobain did not commit suicide? If so, was his death accidental or was Cobain murdered? The Seattle police are confident they made the correct ruling. They consider the case closed. Tom Grant does not. He believes the investigation should be reopened and the inconsistencies were resolved once and for all. So something that we just saw there was basically that. So that, that was another thing that the linguistic experts said when they were reading this letter was that the first half of it had everything to do with music. So like three, four fifths of the letter. Four-fifths of the letter had just talked about music and how, you know, thank you to my fans and, you know, so on and so forth. Let's see if we can find the actual letter itself. Um, but the last fourth or fifth of the letter basically said that he was going to commit suicide. Um, and, it, and it talked about his family and it talked about a few other things. So if we can uh, zoom in here and see if this will actually give us a clean outline of the actual note itself so it says uh speaking from the tongue of it and this is his, so this is kurt cobain's suicide letter that was found um in a sealed envelope by courtney love speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be an emasculated infantile complainee this note should be pretty easy to understand all of the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years since my first induction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence and the embracement of your community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt, um, I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as created music 
along with reading and writing for too many years now, I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and the lights go out and the manic roar of the crowds begins, it doesn't affect me the way in which it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love, relish in the love and adoration of the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. The fact is I can't fool you, any one of you. It simply isn't fair for you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip people off by faking it and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. Sometimes I feel as if I have a punch-in-time clock before I walk out on stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it, and I do, God, believe me I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected and entertained a lot of people. It must be one of those narcissists. I must be one of those narcissists who only appreciate things once they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasms I once had as a child. On our last three tours, I've had much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally and as fans through our music, but it can't get over the frustration, the guilt, and empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us, and I think I simply love people too much. So much that it makes me feel too fucking sad. The sad, li- the sad little, sensitive, unappreciative Pisces Jesus man. Why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy, and a daughter who reminds me of too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every single person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Francis becoming the miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. I have it good, very good, and I'm grateful, but since the age of seven, I've become hateful towards all humans in general, only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy, only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Thank you from the bottom of the pit of my burning, nauseous nauseous stomach for your letters and concern during the past year. I'm too much of an erratic, moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore. And so remember, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Peace, love, empathy. Kurt Cobain. Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. So that was the note that was found. And I think that... You know, from just the structuring of the paragraphs, it looks like the thank you from the burning or from the pit of my burning nauseous stomach. It seems to me like that's kind of where the the conversation and the the tonality of the actual writing changes from something that does seem to be completely about music, right? Like you know, at, at twenty seven or whatever, twenty eight years old to kill yourself to to commit suicide over mostly music prop i mean it just doesn't make much sense until the very very end of that so the idea is that basically she forged all of the other sentences and things from past writings and then basically wrote the bottom of that herself um is the idea that this private investigator had regarding her being guilty and and murdering kurt cobain um so let's see we're yeah 
So that that looks to be pretty close to me to where that that started there. So so yeah. So there's the story, guys. It, it's a really interesting situation. Now now there is all of there is additional um, conspiracy there where Courtney Love's dad has some ties to the CIA. Um, Hank Harrison. So uh, Courtney Love's father, this is the Daily Mail, and I haven't seen this article yet. It says, Courtney Love's father claims he can prove she was responsible for Kurt Cobain's death. This is on uh, Daily Mail. Um, and it says that Hank Harrison is the estranged father of Courtney Love and used to be the manager of the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead being the MK Ultra based experiment uh, band who basically just dosed a bunch of people with LSD. The Grateful Dead is legitimately a government brain operator, a brain uh, a government MK Ultra experiment that they used to, they used the Grateful Dead for a lot of it. Um, so he used to be the manager of the Grateful Dead. He believes his daughter was responsible for the death of Kurt Cobain, in which he said, no doubt she was capable. Um, I can't prove she pulled the trigger, but I can prove her involvement to a high degree of certainty. Um, he is to republish his book on the couple where he will outline his proof. And convinced by the release of the police of a note written by Cobain, it said the note was in Cobain's pocket and calls Love a bitch and a money grabber. Courtney Love. Um... In March, police said that they had found four undeveloped rolls of film taken in Cobain's at the time of the death. So that's what I talked about from the actual uh, cops, was that they took all these pictures of the actual uh, room itself, and uh, it was never even developed, the film was. Um, detectives say the picture found uh, this year from Cobain's home at the time he died contained nothing to suggest his death was not a suicide. Um, and, oh, I guess those were separate uh, documents. So, um, So there's basically her own father saying that she is responsible for that. Um, now to substantiate my claims regarding the Grateful Dead, uh, let's look that up, where the Grateful Dead had was basically um, a CIA MKUltra conspiracy. So they basically pumped and created the actual Grateful Dead itself as a, uh, like, test for LSD experiments. Um, let's see if we can find a legitimate website that talks about that. All right. So this is a NPR article that says the CIA secret quest for mind control, torture, LSD, and the prisoner in or poisoner in chief. So during the early period of the Cold War, the CIA became convinced that communists had discovered a drug or a technique that would allow them to control human minds. In response, the CIA began its own CIA or operative program called MKUltra to search for a mind control drug that could be weaponized against enemies. Um, now let's see if the Grateful Dead. So this says, now that people who have volunteered for these experiments and began taking LSD in many cases found it very pleasurable. They told their friends about it. And uh, who were those people, Ken Kensey said, of uh, the author of Who Flew or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, got his LSD in an experiment sponsored by the CIA by MKUltra. Um, so did Robert Hunter, the lyricist of The Grateful Dead, who was a part of the actual MKUltra experiments, which went on to become a great purveyor of LSD culture itself. Um, so that's kind of where that whole idea comes from with The Grateful Dead, is that he was a part, the lyricist was... Uh, a part of MK Ultra experiments and then kind of spread it through that ideology. And Courtney Love's dad was the uh, manager for the Grateful Dead, which is interesting even more so. Um, 
So interesting, interesting stuff here. Um, let's see if we can find anything else on Courtney Love's dad, and then we are going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Courtney Love, dad. All right, so scattered, scattered articles. Um, but we do know that he was a part of the Grateful Dead, and he was uh, also said that his daughter might have murdered this person. So he says, I have been, this, this article just on Reddit says, I have been a Nirvana and especially Courtney Love fan since I was six years old. 25 years later, I'm now covering as much information as possible um, related to her upbringing. Um, her father's past history of giving out endless amounts of LSD and the theory that he was a CIA handler for Kurt, who was murdered because he was getting clean and no longer advertising the heroin chick lifestyle to the public, and in particular, the youth at the time. I am curious if any of you have any information to be added to this thread to talk about the backstory. So there's a theory that basically just says that because Kurt Cobain was no longer pushing the like heroinistic lifestyle um, that they wanted them to and perpetuating this drug culture, uh, they killed him. I don't know. But what I do know is that he didn't kill himself. And what I do know is that Courtney Love is very, very uh, suspicious in this situation. And what I do know is that both private investigators, her lawyer, and law enforcement all believe that she did it, including these FBI documents that were released. So do with that information what you will. Check out that documentary, though. I think it was really interesting. Um, again, it was called... Uh, soaked in bleach and they go over a ton of information regarding the actual uh suicide a ton of information about the actual recordings with courtney love herself um and even more so good day for america glenn maxwell is guilty um and that's all i got see you guys next week hope you have a great day thank you so much for tuning in um go ahead and hit that subscribe button go ahead and press it it's right on that screen leave a five-star review if you are on apple Podcasts. we have merchandise at redpillrevolution.co uh we can accept donations too um, um uh go ahead and head over to redpillrevolution.co dot give send .com, or you can go to our instagram at red pill revolt and check out the link tree you can actually just donate right on the actual link tree page itself which is super cool um but thank you guys so much for listening i appreciate it so much and i hope you have a wonderful day thank you welcome to the revolution <laughs>